You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking details about a serious sexual assault. Langley RCMP are warning residents to be vigilant after a woman was grabbed as she put out her trash last night. Our Grace Key joins us live in Langley with the details on this. And Grace, the attacker actually took the victim back into her own home. Yeah, it was incredibly disturbing. So it all unfolded about 9.30 last night in Alder Grove. So the woman, as you mentioned, was taking out her trash when she was gra- grabbed from behind, forced back into her home, and that's where the sexual assault occurred. Now, before the suspect left, he grabbed the bed sheets and the victim's purse. That's described as being gray with silver trimmings. The victim in this case has been treated and released from hospital. The victim is obviously very traumatized by the events of last night, and uh, she sustained some physical injuries as well. Uh, No broken bones or anything like that, but uh, it will take her some time to heal, uh, again, both emotionally and physically, but uh, her physical wounds will heal. And Grace, what are police saying about the suspect tonight? Yeah, police are saying, unfortunately, right now they don't have a good suspect description to share with the public. Obviously, they're putting a lot of police effort into this very disturbing uh, sexual offense here. Officers have been combing the area, looking for any clues. And, of course, if you happen to stumble upon bed sheets or a purse matching the description, you're asked not to touch it and to call Langley RCMP. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Grace Key and Langley for us. Now, a break in a disturbing assault aboard a transit bus that allegedly began as a dispute over a seat. Is there anything you want to say at all? That's 34-year-old Dylan Miranda, one of two suspects identified and charged in the attack on a 61-year-old woman. The other, 28-year-old Christina Ponce, turned herself into police yesterday and remains in custody. The assault left the victim with a broken arm, a cracked sternum, and a minor head injury. It was a traumatic event like it would be for anybody. Um, since this incident happened, she really has had, uh, had problems even leaving her house. Um, she's relieved to know that the investigation has identified two people. Um, as for her injuries, um, doctors are saying it's looking like six to eight weeks before she, she heals. Miranda's next court appearance will be April 18th. Transit police say more than 100 tips came in about this incident, and they're thanking the public and the media for helping to bring about the arrests. A developing story in downtown Vancouver tonight where a heavy police presence remains at Beach Avenue and Hornby today. The police incident began when officers were called to a disturbance at an apartment at Hornby near Drake at around four this morning. When police got there, a man ran away, allegedly leaving a firearm behind. Officers were able to track the suspect to an apartment on Beach Avenue near Hornby where they still are tonight. A heavily armed emergency response team is on the scene along with negotiators. Police now have a warrant and residents say they've heard several flashbangs, but so far no arrest. The public is being advised to avoid the area for the time being. And in the meantime, transit police have been given a hefty pay raise. An independent arbitrator awarding a wage increase totaling more than 10 percent. John Waugh explains why officers are getting the pay hike and how it's hoped public perception of the role will change. And you don't have a fare today because 
Metro Vancouver Transit Police have been trying to dodge it for years. Okay, have you had a transit ticket for not having a fare before? The public perception of what service they provide. What I've seen is they just check fares. They just check if everyone's using their compass card. They just standing on the train. Just checking fares. Fares. What some don't know is that transit police must undergo the same training as officers on a municipal force. There is no difference in the fact that we are investigators, we deal with criminal offences, we deal with violent people. Um, we put our lives on the line in the same way. An arbitrator has decided the pay should be similar too, awarding Metro Vancouver Transit Police a wage increase totaling more than 10%. The new four-year contract likely pushing many into six-figure salaries. Ensuring public safety, so um, I'd be for the pay increase for sure. No, they don't deserve it. Why not? They don't do anything. They just stand around. Those doing the policing say they're needed on public transit. We take thousands and thousands of reports of incidents that range from sexual offences, harassment on the system, assaults. But with the large majority of incidents revolving around fair infractions and more serious crimes still involving municipal police, some say the high cost is redundant. We're questioning the need for this expensive police force to be policing a couple of train lines and some bus stations. We think this could be done much more cost effectively. And while there are plenty of people who say the presence of transit police makes them feel safer. So therefore, if people are having trouble, that's the biggest thing. Comparing them to their municipal counterparts is why some are having a tough time getting on board. John Hua, Global News. The province is taking aim at the private medical system, enacting a law aimed at banning extra billing. Keith Baldry has more on the long-running battle between the private and public systems and what they hope to achieve with the new penalties. Today, we are taking steps to protect patients and our public health care system. Health Minister Adrian Dix is making good on something the NDP demanded while in opposition, a complete crackdown on people being charged extra money to receive treatment for things like joint replacement surgeries or MRIs. By stopping extra billing while making necessary investments in the public system, more people will have access to the services they need. We are taking strong action today, and we will be asking the federal government in this year to restore funding to British Columbia as a result. The crackdown comes just days after Dix announced major funding lists for both joint replacement surgeries and MRIs, the main procedures offered in private health care clinics. Today's announcement was largely welcomed by the medical community. We want our patients to be able to access care based on need, not on ability to pay. This is a big step to recovering the equity that was being eroded by an underfunded system that allowed private clinics to flourish. Global News tried unsuccessfully for comment from the part of healthcare likely affected the most by the ban on extra billing, private medical clinics. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with more on this. What kind of penalties are we talking about here if the rules are broken, Keith? Potentially some pretty hefty ones, Sophie. So this is basically going to be a patient complaint-driven system. If you're charged extra fees by a doctor, whether it's you know $100 or whether it's $10,000, you can complain to the Medical Services Commission. They'll do an investigation. If they determine there's inappropriate fees being applied, the doctors will be ordered to reimburse the patient. If doctors refuse to do that, further action is taken. They could face fines of $10,000 for a first offense, $20,000 for a second offense, and possibly being de-enrolled from the Medical Services plan. So the penalties are potentially quite steep. So, All right. Thanks for that. Keith Baldry reporting.
The province also empowering a large group of nurses today, freeing them up to prescribe a range of opioid substitutes. Nurse practitioners can now offer patients hydromorphone, an opioid similar to heroin that can help addicts who've not had success with more traditional treatments. It's hoped the move will help expand access and thereby save more lives. If we're going to build a better system for mental health and addictions and really be able to prevent, um, you know, be, invest upstream and support people upstream, we really do need all hands on deck. Last year, more than 1,400 people in this province died of an overdose, and about 83% of those deaths involved fentanyl. More tonight on the decision by the Metro Vancouver board to revisit a pay raise and retirement allowance they voted themselves last month. Citing huge public outcry, board chair Greg Moore is now set to put forward a motion to reconsider the board remuneration bylaw. Ted Chernecki has the details. All those in favor? It was a vote to regret, especially the idea that outgoing board members should get a brand new retirement allowance retroactive 2007. Well, I voted in favor of it originally, but uh, I'm changing my mind based on the feedback of our citizens. Safe to say the pushback from the public was significant when only a handful of the 40 board members voted no to both the new retirement allowance and a pay top-up of 15% to compensate for Revenue Canada imposing a new taxable benefit on board member salaries. Yeah, look, I'm not, you know, sure why, you know, we should be rejecting or accepting this one, but one thing's for sure, this doesn't belong here. It probably belongs to the local table. I did read the 600 pages of material for the 10 meetings ahead of time, and then when I got there, I saw that this item had been added to the agenda, and while it was only a page... I felt like I was kind of reading it and processing it on the fly. I didn't agree with it. I wasn't there for the vote. While publicly voicing his opposition to the retirement allowance, Coquitlam's mayor does believe recruiting good counselors from the business community will not happen if the salary is in the fifty to sixty thousand dollar range, for what's really a full time job. Uh, I'm up to about seventeen uh, laughs in my face, or seventeen people saying no. That's not uh, that's not something I would consider. But I think we need to find a, a fairer way, an arm length way of deciding what uh, elected officials at the local government are paid. That It happens at the federal and provincial level. We need to do that at the local level as well. There probably isn't a politician out there that wants to vote themselves a pay raise, even if they are arguably now underpaid. Because look what happens when they do. Ted Chernahi, Global News. The Vancouver Pride Society announcing today the cancellation of a highlight of Pride Week. The annual Davies Street Party will not go ahead this year, blaming a financial shortfall. Organizers say they're still trying to make up for a deficit from last year's Pride Week. The Davies Street Party is the most expensive event to produce at almost $80,000. They're hoping to reimagine the event for 2019. Right now, though, details just breaking about the death of a former long-term B.C. cabinet minister. Jim Nielsen held several portfolios under various social credit governments in the 1970s and 80s. He was B.C.'s health minister from 1981 to to 1986, and he unsuccessfully sought the party leadership in 1986. Family now confirming Jim Nielsen passed away today at the age of 79. Now, some say it's evidence that Metro Vancouver's red-hot housing market is finally starting to cool. As Aaron MacArthur reports tonight, the latest numbers show home sales are down substantially in the first three months of this year. 
Looking to sell a house in Metro Vancouver? Good luck. After a decade controlling the market, sellers are finding that the tables have started to turn. Fewer than 10% of all homes listed last month actually sold. If these people that didn't sell over the last 30 days, if they truly want to sell, now they've been on the market for 30, 40 days, they're not getting their price. The next step is a price reduction. Across the region, the numbers look bleak. Detached home sales down 37%. Condos, 26%. And townhomes, 24 While real estate agents are talking about prices plummeting, especially in high-end markets, the stats show a modest decrease. Economists say supply still the overriding factor. It's not just Vancouver. You look through the entire southern half of B.C., you see uh, kind of 10-year lows on supply leading to the island with some areas of 35-year lows in terms of what's available for sale. Uh, that means that those buyers in the market are competing with one another for what's available. According to TD, home sales numbers have fallen by more than twice what was expected. And government action like the speculation tax, foreign buyers tax, and increase in property transfer tax have all played a role. The consensus is the federal government's mortgage stress test that's having the biggest impact. People rely on credit to, to pay for houses, right? I mean, even if you have equity in your home, you're, you're going to be pulling some equity out to, to leverage that into down payments for maybe your kids or for second properties. So I think at the end of the day, as soon as you start to slow that down, uh, that's going to have a major impact on demand. With sales struggling, prices will continue to slide, making homes, if not affordable, at least less expensive. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. UBC has unveiled new street signs that pay tribute to the traditional First Nation territory. The university partnering with the Musqueam First Nation to roll out bilingual signs that will be on nine major streets. The names were chosen by the Musqueam people as a way to educate others on the way they perceive place and movement over land. Compostable coffee pods, thinking you're doing the right thing for the environment, there might be a complication. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea, is here with the details, and it looks like we haven't quite solved this problem yet. No, it's quite shocking, actually. Thanks, you too. Mm -hmm. It's estimated 40% of Canadian homes use single-service coffee makers. K-cups or coffee pods have a huge impact on our environment, with millions of single-service coffee cartridges clogging landfills every year. But recently, one BC company has brewed up a 100% compostable coffee pot. Pod. Well, it sounds like the perfect blend, so why is it not accepted at the compost facility? Organic, fair trade, and works in a Keurig machine. Perhaps more impressive, this coffee pod is 100% compostable. At Richmond's Canterbury Coffee, the Canadian-owned company has recently come up with a unique design. Not only are the one coffee pods 100% compostable, they are also BPI certified by North America's leading certifier of compostable products. But while the pod offers a green solution, its biggest challenge? Acceptance at municipal compost facilities. The challenge is that municipalities can't tell the difference between one pod or one bag from a compostable bag or compostable pod. In other words, waste management companies have a problem distinguishing between the two. 
Some composters have also expressed concern over the amount of time it would take for the pods to break down. This is something that consumers care about. Consumers care about the environment and we're not just talking about it. We want to do something and we want compostable plastics to be accepted at the compost. That's where BC Liberal MLA Jazz Johal wants to make a difference. He's introduced a private member's bill requiring all single-use coffee pods be fully compostable. 1.5 billion uh, coffee pods in Canada end up in our landfills. 1.5 billion. And they're not compostable. And I think this uh, private member's bill helps us get ahead uh, in regards to the future, where we need to be in regards to the environment. Joe Hall is optimistic the move will force those in the private sector and government to find a solution. This is not about, will the technology be there? That technology is there. Compostable coffee pods are now being produced in the Lower Mainland. This is about uh, the political um, will that is needed to bring this move this forward. Move forward towards acceptance. There's so much recyclable plastics out right now that if we move into compostable products, perhaps we can throw that into our green bin and let the composter take care of it. And Richmond, Queensboro MLA Jazz Joe Hall also says under the private member's bill, companies will have four years to upgrade their technology to deal with this issue. And he's not alone. A progressive conservative politician in Ontario has also introduced a similar private member's bill. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thanks very much. Now, a tentative settlement tonight in a battle between retailers who accept credit cards and Visa, MasterCard, and a number of other banks. Class action lawsuits in B.C. and four other provinces alleged the card companies and banks conspired to set higher fees paid by the merchants. The settlement totals $45 million. It still has to be approved by the courts before merchants will be reimbursed. On the surface, it would seem to fly in the face of efforts to get kids outside more often. Authorities tearing down a homemade bike park built by Victoria area cyclists. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the regional district says the legal realities of today left them no choice. They're sticking to the path, forced to go back and forth. No twists or turns, not even a speed bump to make things interesting. So we got a berm trail right here. This is where they'd rather be riding. It comes along, goes up there. The group of boys had built their own mountain bike track on this patch of unused land in their neighborhood. Well, there's a lot of sweat and effort. We'd all work together after school and on nice days. They spent months planning the course before packing and shaping it. That was a jump there and we had a drop over there. And we had a main trail over here which had like four connections onto it. And the hard work paid off. That's our passion, so we just love doing it. And it's fun to change things up. That is until the Capital Regional District stepped in. Crews came in and taped off the area late last month, tearing down everything they had built. The only thing they left behind were these signs. It was devastating for these boys. It was broken limbs, um, spray-painted trees. The, the branches were strewn all over the place. In a statement, a spokesperson says CRD Regional Parks dismantled the illegal trails within the trail corridor and placed debris across to prevent people from rebuilding them. The CRD asks parks and trail users to stay on designated trails, unauthorized trail building and use damages the environment and can create safety hazards for visitors.
You'd ride down and then kind of drop in. But parents insist they were careful to oversee every step, making sure no harm was being done. They've reached out to the CRD in hopes of a resolution and are still waiting on a response. All we're asking for is a solution. A solution to where can these kids go? These boys just want to be boys. For now, they're playing by the rules, sticking to the nearby path where cycling is allowed. Three, two, one, shred it! But not giving up hope, their trail will one day be resurrected. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A mass medical emergency at a First Nation just west of Calgary sent more than a dozen people to hospital and left a baby boy dead. Global's Lauren Pullen has the latest from the Stony Nakoda First Nation. Lauren. Really just tragedy unfolding here inside a home on the Stony Nakoda First Nation. One young child passing away and several others being taken to hospital. I spoke with an extended family member who told me the young boy who died was just four months old and he believed many of the other victims were siblings living inside that home. He was just completely shaken up, really trying to come to grips with it all. The family was huddled together outside of the home, understandably very emotional. They're asking for their promise privacy at this time as they work through this incredibly tough time. Now, we still don't know exactly what happened. We've learned the victims were taken to hospital with flu-like symptoms, and EMS is confirming this is believed to be a medical incident. Uh, different things are being investigated this time, uh, although there, are, there were uh, some concerns or initial questions of whether this could be a carbon monoxide incident. That does not appear to be the case today. However, that is still being looked into. However, uh, the, the circumstances of what we appear to be dealing with today don't appear to be related to, to an, a noxious substance. We're going to be investigating this death as a sudden death, but it's too soon to say right now um, if it's suspicious or if it's a, a criminal, criminal death even at this point. We're still in the very early stages. Investigators are still on scene trying to piece together exactly what happened as the family and everyone else just waits to find out more. On the Stony Nakota First Nation, Lauren Pullen, Global News. The controversial National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women has arrived in Metro Vancouver, beginning several days of hearings in Richmond. As Rumina Dea reports, this final leg of the inquiry has already generated powerful and sometimes shocking testimony. The next thing I know, I'm in Stanley Park in this squad car and, of course, um, was forced to um, perform oral sex on the officer. Jamie Lee Hamilton is rewriting Canadian history, starting with the Vancouver police. I had heard stories about the jail elevator, so I was very frightened. And they began throwing off cracker, uh, firecrackers and I was sort of jumping around. I didn't know what was going around. Hamilton, one of dozens of witnesses testifying in Richmond at the final public hearing of the National Inquiry into Canada's missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. If we learn about Nazi Germany, South Africa with apartheid, we see all the gritty films of the gas chambers, the other cultural genocides, rape camps, everything like that, why aren't we learning about the smallpox, why aren't we learning beyond the, beyond the smallpox epidemics and the flu epidemics? 
that were given to our people. Residential schools, a cultural genocide on Canadian soil. The downtown Eastside hunting grounds, where serial killer Robert Picton found his victims. And the Highway of Tears, where young Aboriginal women vanished, their cases still unsolved. Tamara Chipman's aunt giving her a voice through this inquiry. Even one missing woman is too much. Uh, one missing girl is too much. These are the life givers of society, and society has to care about our women. It just doesn't make sense. Like, we're all equal, we're all together, and it just doesn't make sense how we're being treated less. The process pummeled with controversy, firings, resignations, court battles, including calls for the chief commissioner to resign. But will it result in tangible change? We get to get up and say our piece. And it's, it's now broadcasted. It's now set out to the people. And, but I think that's all it's going to do. More than a thousand witnesses have testified across the country since 2016. The budget, $54 million. Not enough time or money. The commission is asking the federal government for a two-year extension and another $50 million. Romina Dea, Global News. Troubling new details tonight about the woman who went on a shooting rampage at the headquarters of YouTube in California. It turns out she had a grudge against the website and that a number of warning signs might have been missed. I stopped getting Nassim Agdam used YouTube itself to rail against the company. I'm being discriminated and filtered on YouTube. Today, law enforcement confirmed that anger drove the 38-year-old to unleash a hail of bullets at YouTube's headquarters. So far, investigators say there's no evidence Ogden knew her victims. It is believed that the suspect was upset with policies and practices of YouTube. Ogden attacked YouTube employees outside eating lunch, repeatedly firing a semi-automatic Smith & Wesson handgun registered in her name. Three people were shot before the shooter took her own life. She lived with her family in San Diego, earning money in part from four separate, often offbeat, YouTube channels. Her father confirmed to NBC News that recent changes in YouTube's policy stopped everything, and now she has no income. My workout video gets age-restricted. Ogdom drove north to Mountain View, 30 miles south of YouTube's offices, where her license plate was spotted. The police department says they found Ogdom here, asleep in her car at nearly 2 in the morning. Officers described her as being calm and cooperative. She said she was in the area looking for a job, not once, did she mention YouTube? The Mountain View police called the family. Her father said she may be heading to YouTube, but police did not notify the company. There was nothing in those conversations that uh, the officer felt uh, rose to a level in which there was any specific concern or threat to YouTube. But today, Ogdom's brother, who does not want to be recognized, says the family was worried. They pulled the car and they promised me they're going to watch her. A massive fire has an Indonesian city on the island of Borneo in its third day of a state of emergency. It began with a huge spill of oil, which later caught fire. Four people died, and the sky was filled with black, choking smoke. The city has distributed masks, and more than 1,300 people have suffered breathing problems. Nausea and vomiting as well are problems. Police are investigating the source of the spill, and the port authority and oil companies are trying to clean it up. A giant tree on its side in a cemetery, just part of the widespread damage caused by a series of storms in Kentucky. 
A number of trees were downed and buildings were damaged, but luckily there were no serious injuries or fatalities. In Health Matters tonight, a new retinal implant that could help stop vision loss from macular degeneration. Scientists at the University of Southern California designed the implant made from human embryonic stem cells. They inserted it into the eyes of four patients with advanced dry macular degeneration, and all four maintained their vision over the next four to 12 months without serious side effects. They will now test the implant on a larger number of patients. Vancouver's Ryan Reynolds and his alter ego Deadpool have joined the fight against cancer. I'm going to donate the very suit off my back while giving you a chance to own some movie marketing memorabilia. Resplendent and relaxing in a new pink suit, Reynolds slash Deadpool announced a special offer in a short Twitter video. Reynolds partnering with the organization's or the organization Let's F Cancer to give fans a chance to win that pink suit, a minimum of $10 gets you in the draw. You can see the full video, which is every bit as irreverent as you'd expect, and find more information on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We showed you some time-lapse video of a dust storm in Midland, Texas last night. Well, here's a ground-level view just down the highway in Odessa. Along with the dust, this weather system sparked a grass fire, and it made driving conditions dangerous as well. Nasty. Australian Marine police on patrol when they're forced to back off just a bit. We'll show you what stopped their safety checks cold right after the forecast. Do we want to see? Yeah, you, you might not. You certainly don't want to be swimming. <laughs> All right, let's check in with Christy now for a look at the weather forecast. And, uh, yeah, wildfire uh, in one part of the province. That's right. So wildfire crews are uh, tackling a 100-hectare fire burning east of Kamloops tonight. And uh, BC Wildfire Service says, says that it's not threatening any homes or structures at this time, but it is burning a large grass area that is easily seen by Highway 1 between Pritchard and Chase, and it is believed to be human cause. The good news is this area... Area is expecting snowfall overnight, should change to rain during the day, and then should, should see a significant amount uh, uh, through the day tomorrow. Meanwhile, the mountain passes will see snowfall tonight as things change over and cool down uh, overnight, and it will continue as snow tonight and through the day tomorrow. So a good 15 centimeters on all the mountain passes. Uh, so make that, uh, make sure you're aware of that. And keep in mind, we are still uh, looking at winter driving conditions expected through much of April. Uh, the BC Ministry of Transportation has now changed the um, regulations starting next year. You will be required to have winter tires right through until the end of April. It is wet across the region right now and we are going to see that rain for the next 24 hours. West Coast will get hit hardest up to 60 millimeters of rain. Inner Coast 20 to 40 millimeters over the next 24 hours. Here's a look at that system. So yes, along the South Coast right now, spreading into the interior regions overnight tonight and it will continue to be wet for lower elevations. If you are north of Kamloops or north of uh, Merritt, you will see snowfall even for lower elevations through the morning hours at the very least tomorrow. So we're still cold across the region, but further south you are expecting just rain tomorrow. Weather advisory for the north coast inland sections. Windy conditions with gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour, meaning that no new snow that you've had on the ground today. That could be blowing snow. Watch for whiteout conditions on the highways. There's your forecast for tonight. Uh, sorry, for tomorrow. Tomorrow, coastal regions just rain, but still inland regions cold 
enough that you're expecting snowfall. And I mentioned that's basically north of Kamloops that you'll see that snowfall. Lower down, you are going to see potentially wet snow overnight, but generally just rain, especially through the day tomorrow. Wet certainly across the south coast. We'll see gusty conditions through the day tomorrow. It eases off a little bit on Friday, but we're back into wet weather on Saturday. It'll be one after another over the next little while. I'll leave you with this beautiful shot from Haida Gwaii. Mary Helmer sent us this uh, after their little bit of snowfall that they had a nice shot of an eagle there. That's beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Yeah. Police in South Australia were on patrol looking for impaired boaters when they were forced to stop what they were doing and keep a wary eye on an unexpected visitor. A great white shark about five meters long, bigger than their little boat, began stalking them. The shark, who they named Noah, hung around for a good 10 to 15 minutes before finally swimming away. That's unsettling. And a remarkable effort to help this squirrel in southeastern Turkey, which lost its front paws to a trap. The young man who found him named him Caramel and took him to orthopedists at Istanbul's Aden University. They built him a set of wheels. And while it took him a few tries, Caramel has learned how to use the wheels and is getting much better now. Just is this, stop is this the dangerous? There's like wires everywhere. You're going to get electrocuted. I am going to get electrocuted. Okay, Leave I'm ready. Leave this stuff to the experts. I, I am. Hands off. Not us. Hands off. We're not, uh, no, we're not experts. We're no. experts at very little, actually. That's very uh, And we're not afraid to admit it. The uh, Sedins announcing that this is their final week really helped the Canucks sell out the final two games. Games that probably wouldn't have been sellouts otherwise. And tomorrow's home game... The final one for Daniel and Henrik will feature a huge 50-50 draw. Because of unclaimed jackpots, they start the 50-50 pool at $400,000. Considering how many tickets they sell, could go up to $600,000. Now, last night was the first goodbye for the Twins. And the coolest part about this was after the shootout, where the Twins both took shots but didn't score. So the crowd was cheering for them, but the best part was the Vegas Golden Knights lining up to shake the hands of both Henrik and Daniel and wish them well in retirement. Here's what the twins had to say after it was all over. It was very nice. It's, uh, well, the crowd was, the crowd was great. It's, uh, uh, it's tough to keep your emotions in check when, when you hear that. So it, was, uh, it was nice. It was uh, an amazing night for, for me and my brother. So a lot of fun. Uh, didn't end up winning, but I'm sure the fans were excited. I mean, uh, we had a great comeback too, so it was a fun game to be part of. Actually, we're experts at doing the news and the sports. <laughs> I just want to point that well, out. Well, Chris is, and, and you are. Yeah, well, no, you're, you're smarter than us put together. Uh, right so far, Kai Kamara has been exactly what the Whitecaps hoped he would be, a leader, a crowd favorite, and most of all, a goal scorer. He has three so far this season. One of the reasons they brought him in is because he's a big man, a big target in the middle, which means a lot of the goals are coming off his head. Scoring goals with my head, yeah, I think that's the only thing I know how to do. Felipe, Kamara! Is it more rewarding to score with your head as opposed to using your feet? It's more rewarding to score goals. Yeah, I just want to score goals. To me, it doesn't matter which how it goes in. I just obviously know my advantage is, you know, it's up there. Um, some people shoot three-pointers, and uh, that's what they're good at. You know, mine, I call it, that's the dunk. So you put it up there, I can get it. Kai Kamara is quickly becoming known as the Whitecaps' headmaster. Some of the goals he's already scored this season, an ode to the beautiful game of old, where players use their head almost as much, or if not more, than their feet. 
he's born for that. You know, he's that's what he's made his living out of. You know, um, his technique. He's perfected it over the years and you know even sometimes if it's not a perfect cross he will still find a way to put it in the back of the net and still he goes on and stands one up goals like this as beautiful as they are are so much more than foot to ball and then ball to head it's poetry in motion except pen to paper is substituted by 11 moving parts on a pitch where one out of place body or misguided ball often ruins the soccer verse being authored up. Deliveries. And the deliveries are right. Um, the head is right. It's a connection between you know you and your teammates or the server. Are you lofting the ball up to a target, to a zone? Is there a pace that you put on the ball? It's usually to a zone. You know, he, he knows where that zone is. Um, they've, we have a pretty good understanding so far with our outside guys, you know, crossing the ball in. But he's, he's always there. It's crazy. Look at this. Liverpool fans going after the Manchester City bus as it arrives for today's Champions League game. Well, that's a bit nasty. It should come in tanks next time. Uh, Liverpool then ruins Manchester City's day on the pitch. Three goals in the first half. Mohamed Salah. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Look at this. Bing! It was a flamethrower. Uh, three nothing in leg one of this Champions League tie. It's like the commentary. <laughs> I know. Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Tom Watson, the Masters par three tournament. Nicholas got it under par. That's the way to do it. You know who won this? Tom Watson, who is 68 years old. Here's Tom right here. Now Tony Finau. We're not sure if he's going to be able to play the Masters because watch what he does after he gets, what is that, a soccer ball he's hitting? <laughs> watch Tony Finau. He gets a hole-in-one. It's a spectacular hole-in-one. There's one of his children. So here's the eighth. But watch Finau's celebration and watch his ankle. <laughs> he's running. Oh! Oh. He puts it back in place. Oh, yikes. But he may not be able to play because of that. Okay, this is Jack Nicholas's grandson. Let him hit one shot today. Let him hit one. And this is the one. Gary Nicholas, Jr. Here it comes. Here it comes. And Grandpa was in tears after this. Yes! Yes! Wow. And grandpa right there. Well done. Yeah, Finau's ankle. We're not sure how it's going to be. We'll see what happens when he wakes up tomorrow. Sort of like when Dustin Johnson fell down the stairs and couldn't play. Uh, Canada, Norway. Canada's now 6-1 at the World Men's Curling Championship. That ended the game right there. An 8-2 win of the Norwegians who packed in after seven ends. There you go. They say that par three is cursed. Don't they? I mean, well, normally you, it's a guy who wins it. That's right. Doesn't have a chance at the Masters. But Tom but Watson's not in the Masters, so he said, I might as well try and win it this year yeah. because I'm not going to play anyway. A huge nationwide commemoration today as tens of thousands of people marched across the U.S. on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Biggest ceremonies at the Memphis Hotel, where King was gunned down, now a civil rights museum. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. 
A single gunshot silenced the voice and soul of a movement. We will have a nonviolent demonstration here in Memphis. King was in Memphis to support striking sanitation workers. But on this evening, 50 years ago, the mood inside the Lorraine Motel was more playful than serious. But then, outside in the balcony, the moment that changed everything, captured in this indelible image. The greatness of America is the right to protest far right. Just the night before, King had delivered his soaring and prophetic sermon about the promised land. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. Now, a half century later, remembered today in Memphis for the movement he ignited. It's just important for him to witness, you know, for him to understand that people fought for him to be able to go to school, get an education. Across the country, demonstrations of purpose and peaceful unity. A legacy challenging today's divisions, much the way King did 50 years ago. I feel his spirit. The important thing is to carry on his work. A spirit that drove six young men marching 50 miles from Mississippi to Memphis to honor their hero. We started doing this journey to basically uh, commemorate Dr. Martin Luther King and what he showed for us, the dream they had for us, and we want to continue that journey. Finally arriving at the Lorraine Motel, where King died, but where the movement he led and his dream survives.